If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can either click to, turn to with me, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And so as many as you, of you know that we've been in this, this, this series called Love in Action. We've been walking through the book of, of Luke together. And so now we're coming to a portion of scripture. Uh, and I've titled this, this, this sermon, uh, My Prayers. But we, we come to a, a portion of scripture that, that I actually had preached this text back in February of this year. Uh, February 22nd, 23rd, it was in the series uh, Made for More. And the title of that sermon was More Consistent Prayer. And so when I, when I came to this text again, I had a question for myself and had to answer that. Am I willing or should I preach the text that I just preached like a few months ago? And so I, I, I honestly, I, I really struggled with that. And so, so I glanced at the sermon and, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to preach the, that text. And, and I want you to understand why, um, because that text was more theology in less application. I'm going to preach this text in such a way that is more application and a little bit less theology, if that's okay with you. If you need some theology behind this text, then you can go to our website, Made for More series, uh, More Consistent Prayer. You can grab that. You can go through that. But one of the reasons I decided to do that was because of this. Many times, it is not a theological issue why people don't pray. I mean, people get it. We need to pray and we should pray. So it's not a theological issue as much as how to pray. How should I pray? What does prayer look like? How can I introduce prayer into my life? How can I just get going? And listen, let me tell you something. We are all on that journey. I'm on this journey with you. I am still learning and understanding this issue of prayer and deep prayer and some of these other things. And so I just want to talk to you with a little bit more application maybe than normal and understanding and maybe getting you going as, as far as how you pray. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, uh, the first verse says this, uh, Jesus is with the disciples. And verse 1 says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. So he had a certain place where he prayed from, right? He, the disciples even knew where that place was. We don't know if it was like a, a recliner. We don't know if it's a chair. We don't know if it's a, a, a special place in his home. We don't know if it's, a, we, we don't know. But what we do know is, is that when the disciples saw Jesus there, they knew what he was doing. He was praying. And so it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, so they waited. <laughs> One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, listen, I've played golf for many years and I started in like, like 2007 and, and, I, and I, I love to play golf. I like to play golf. I'm just not very good. I mean, honestly, I, I enjoy playing golf. I'm just not that good. I started playing golf in 2007 off of a sermon that I preached. In the sermon, I made a joke about golfers. And so it was hilarious. Uh, everybody laughed but the golfers. I, I mean, that's when I realized you golfers take this stuff way too serious. And so, so I made a joke. Everybody laughed. It kind of offended the golfers, and it offended a friend of mine, Jim Deutsch. Jim Deutsch had been in our church for a number of years. He's an excellent golfer. He meets me out in the foyer, and he says, hey, listen, if you're going to make fun of golfers, if you're going to make fun of golfers, then you at least have to go out, hit a bucket of balls so you know what it's like. 
And so uh, I said, okay. And so I went out to the, to the range with him. We hit a bucket of balls. I, I had a nine iron. He gave me a little bit of a quick lesson. And then out of like, in a bucket, there's like 90 balls. Out of 90 balls, I hit one really, really well. And if you're a golfer, you understand this. All it takes is one shot. All it takes is hitting one really, really good. And, and you'll go back. I mean, you'll go back. And so I was hooked. I mean, the next day, somebody loaned me a set of clubs. I, I was like taking... I was like taking lessons and, and um, trying to understand this. And then a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Stuart, Mc, Stuart McWilliams in the Springs Fellowship of the Rockies, he calls me, and I've only been playing about two years at this point. And he says, hey, Charlie, I need you to play in a golf scramble for our church, and we're going to play at the Broadmoor. And I'm like excited because I get to play at the Broadmoor. He says, it's not going to cost you anything. And he says, and no worries, we're going to win. And he said, uh, it doesn't even matter how you play. Don Powers is playing with us, and Don Powers is in our church. He's a PGA golfer. Uh, he gives lessons out of his home. He has a simulator, gives lessons out of his home. Unbelievably good. And so I went that day, and I played with them, and, and it was amazing. I'd never played around someone like that at that level. And it was amazing to watch him hit a golf shot. It was just so natural. It was so fluid. It was so effortless. And, and it made me, honestly, it made me feel inadequate because I was so bad and he was so good. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but this is what's happening here. And so, so, uh, so we're, we're finishing up and we're headed to our cars. We got our trophy. We won and we're headed to the car. And so I look over at Don and I said, hey, Don, man, would you just give me a tip? I, I know you give lessons, but there's no way I can afford you. Uh, but could you just give me a tip? And he said, sure. He said, quit golf for two weeks and buy a bowling ball. He said, quit golf for two weeks and just find another sport. And so everybody laughed but, but me. It kind of hurt my feelings. And then I'm like, well, Don, you're supposed to be a Christian here, and that, that's kind of hurtful. And then he, I think he felt bad, so he looked over and said, hey, Charlie, I'm sorry. I, I honestly was just joking. You probably haven't been playing golf long enough to know that's a golf joke. And, and uh, he said, so why don't you and Stu come to my house this next week? I'll put you guys on the golf simulator. I'll give you a golf lesson, and it won't cost you a thing. So I'm like, well, I'm okay now. You can have fun at my expense now if you're going to give me golf lessons. And so, so that's just what happens. So Now listen, so understand this about the disciples. It wasn't the disciples hadn't been praying. The disciples had been praying. Please understand this. From, from their Jewish background, they pray three times a day. So it wasn't that the disciples were like, we just don't know. We haven't been praying. We need to learn this whole thing. See, what happened to them, kind of like me and Don Williams, it was comparison. I mean, he was so good and I was so bad. Now all of a sudden the disciples, they come across Jesus and they get to pray with him. And something happens. They see something totally distant, different. They witness, listen, they witness the prayer life of Jesus Christ and their inadequacy. They witnessed how Jesus prayed and how he connected with the Father. And all of a sudden, they realized, I'm lacking something. They realized that there's something going on. See, by comparison, they had to feel totally inadequate about prayer. In other words, what they had been taught and what they had learned is more of a religious prayer. They prayed, and they prayed three times a day. But they prayed these prayers that didn't connect their prayer life with their life. Didn't connect their prayer life with tomorrow. Didn't connect their prayer life with, with their pain or their hurt or what they needed. It didn't, they didn't connect their prayer life with how they lived. It was, 
It was something they did. It was a religious thing that they did, but it was something that was joyless and gave them no power, no, no encouragement or anything. Listen, just so we're tracking, religious prayers is praying but not connecting your prayers to the Father or to your daily life. It's just something you do. It's just something you check off of a block and say, you know what, I, I prayed because I'm supposed to. It's, it's my duty. It's religion. Relig Listen, religious prayer is lifeless. Religious prayer doesn't take burdens off of you. Sometimes it places burdens on you. Have you ever been around somebody? You ever been around somebody and you hear them pray and then all of his comparisons like me and Don or the disciples and Jesus and you go, man, oh man, I want to pray like that individual. Man, oh man, I want to have a relationship with the Father like that. Or you hear about some of the results of their prayers. You read something in a book or you're up close with someone and you're like, they connected with the Father like I've never seen before. It's like, it's like, it's like it gives them joy, it gives them encouragement. There's something that's happening. Biblical prayer gives life. Biblical prayer connects you to your daily life. Biblical prayer reminds you and I, guess what? He's in control. And that you can trust him. See, the disciples saw this correlation with Jesus between his prayers and his life and his ministry. His prayers and his life and his miracles. His prayer and his life and his, the way he did life. And see what happened with the disciples. They said, we need, to, we need to learn this. We need to learn this secret. So now you kind of understand the context, right? So now it wasn't that they had never prayed. It wasn't that they weren't taught to pray. They'd been just Jew. They'd been praying for like grade school. They came out of the crib praying. I mean, if you're a Jew, you've got to pray before you walk. I mean, it's, it's just something ingrained in you. And listen, I, wanna, I want you to understand me wherever you're listening to this and you're hearing this message, I want you to understand. I am on this journey with you. Of this issue of growing in prayer. In the intimacy with the Father where prayer is connected to your life and your actions and your situations and your circumstances. Man, I am working hard. Fact is, our staff, this is just so cool. Our staff, starting next week, privately, we're going through a study together of eight weeks of just prayer. What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to have a rhythm of prayer to where you understand that you abide in the Father and the Father is with you always? It's not just something you do in the morning and then you never think of him or circumstances or any, that anymore. I want to give you just three things just to kind of frame this because I always give you three things and that's the way I, I think and that's the way I communicate. The first thing is this, is what he says is, is we're to pray personally. I mean, we're, this is what the disciples saw. See, religious prayer is not personal. And so the first thing is this, is we're, we're to pray personally and... and um, which means this isn't some, something someone else can do for you. Yes, I get it. I understand someone can intercede for you and someone can pray for you. And I, I, I get that. That's not what I'm talking about. Only you can pray personally to the Father. Only you can connect to him individually. You understand what I mean? For yourself. And Jesus began this pattern of prayer and to teach the disciples to pray personally. And so in verse 2, he just says, he says, just, just when you pray and, 
And then he says, here's what you're supposed to do. And, and he, he gave them a guide. He gave them an outline to say, this is, this is what, what you're to pray or how you're to pray. And we would call it the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is just simple, ex- simply an example, a guide of, of how we should pray. And so um, he, he, he begins talking about this issue and helping them to understand. Listen, let me tell you something. I am learning the power of praying prayers that are already written. Now listen, I I met Christ in like a Baptist church. And so if you know anything about Baptist, we don't believe it. You know, Baptists don't really believe the church I was in. The Baptists don't believe in praying like, like written prayers that are already written for you. That's like rote. That's like religion. That's like stale but can I tell you something, the Desert Fathers and, and many people, you just look at this through, through Christian history, this power of praying prayers that especially if you're learning to pray, I am learning the power of just simply praying the Psalms back to him. You saw it with Pastor Eli, right, in, in, in the, the, the moment of word of encouragement to where he just took a Psalm. He took Psalm 145. He just took four verses and said, let's just pray that back to the Father. Listen, I have learned the power of that. See, see, I don't know what type of, a lot, what type of, of card person you are. Uh, as, I, as I examine like people that give cards, I, I, I understand like there's three different types of people that give like, like cards to someone to encourage them, a birthday card, an anniversary card, whatever. There's one type of person that likes to give the blank card right, and so they like to fill it in, and they like, they like to write it out. There's another type of person. Uh, my mother-in-law is in this type. When she gives you a card, she takes the pre-written, the Hallmark you know, poem or whatever, and she underlines words, she circle words, she highlights words, and then says, love grandma or whatever, and doesn't write much after that. My dad Late in my dad's life, he was a third type of person, and so he would give a card, and so he would take a lot of time picking out a card that says the, the, the exact thing that he wanted to communicate, and then he'd write two or three sentences and say, love, dad. So I don't know what kind of card person you are, but here's what's interesting. When I was writing the sermon, I'm in my home office, and across my desk in my home office, framed is the last card that my father gave me. You know what's framed? The hallmark part. The written words. He, he took time to find those words. It expressed, those words expressed something that he wanted to express to me that he didn't feel he could properly communicate. Power of the Psalms. You can take the Psalms, four verses, and pray them back to Him. And it communicates something in a way that maybe you can't communicate yourself, just learning to pray. And then He said, Say our Father. In other words, you, you address God directly. And the Scripture teaches, right? Um, we pray directly to Him. We don't have to go through anyone. We don't pray to a person. We don't pray to a saint. We don't pray to someone that's died before us. We don't, we don't pray to him. We, we pray to him. We pray directly to him. Prayer is this personal communication between you and the Father. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, 
men and man, the man Christ Jesus. Then he says, and then hallowed be your name. In other words, it's, it's this understanding of who he is and, and we praise him. We praise him for his holiness and his reverence and, and we understand that he is in charge. Be still and know that I'm God, that I will be exalted over the nations. I will be exalted over your pride. In other words, there's, re, there's this reverence, there's this holiness. And then we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. When you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, you know what you're saying? God, may you rule. God's kingdom is not something future. It can be now. It's wherever he, he rules. God, I'm asking you to rule in my marriage. I'm asking you to rule in my relationships. I'm asking you to rule in the way that I do business. I'm asking you to rule in my church. I'm asking you to, to rule. Your kingdom come. May your will be done. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread. That is so fascinating. He's kind of telling us prayer is daily. He doesn't say give us our weekly bread. He doesn't say give us our monthly bread or give us our yearly bread. It's like, Lord, give us our daily bread. Lord, I need daily bread today. Lord, help me when I go to work to live out my Christian convictions. Lord, help me to be patient with that person. And you know who that person is, Lord. Lord, help me to just, just say a word about Jesus. Lord, help me just to remember that you are with me. Lord, when I come home, just help me to concentrate on loving my family and that they would have my attention. Lord, when I go to that Little League baseball game tonight, help me encourage my child and not be critical of them. Lord, would you just give me peace? Would you just, Lord, Lord, would you just give me patience? Lord, I need daily bread today. And I get frustrated about this mask thing, where I have to wear a mask and where I don't have to. Lord, help me to love my neighbor as myself. Lord, help me to look on the interests of others, not just on my interest. Forgive us of our debts so we can ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lord, I have fallen short of the glory of God, and I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of sin, and I repent, and Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. And Lord, as you forgive me, may I be willing to forgive others. Lord, help me to not hold a grudge and forgive that person that has slandered me or talked about me, and Lord, help me to love my enemies. Help me to bless them. And Karen and I took a little bit of a vacation, took a couple of days, and we went away, and took our mountain bikes and, and uh, we rode the first day about 10 miles. The second day we rode 40 miles. And, and then that night coming into the hotel, Karen says, I just feel like we need to take our mountain bikes into the, into the hotel. And, and I kind of abruptly said, no, I don't think so. And, and so uh, that next morning we get up and she opens up the, the drapes, looks out and says, hey, someone stole your mountain bike out of your truck. And I thought she was joking. And I'm like, and then she says, no, I'm dead serious. They stole, they stole your mountain bike. And I'm telling you, that ruined my day. It, it literally destroyed my day. And I don't know if you know this in COVID, you're not going to be, be able to buy a mountain bike till 2021, maybe 2022. It's just impossible. And so, and so I, I'm like, Lord, I, I need daily bread. And I, I need that. I, and I don't have time for it to rise and bake. I need it now, right? <laughs> Lord, help me to forgive. Lord, help me not to judge. I mean, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about, and here's the interesting thing. This is a model prayer. I've timed it. You can pray this in like 20 seconds. 
It's like 30 words. I mean, now there are times, listen, I, please don't get me wrong, there's times that there's, there's appropriate times for long prayers, right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed for what Scripture tells us. He prayed for like three hours. And, and so, and there's some people that have the gift of intercession. And like, for you, three hours is no deal. It's just no thing. Uh, but, and so, but, but I, I just want to help you. Don't feel guilty if your prayer time is much shorter. Long prayers are not essential. Long prayers, sometimes what Scripture says, interesting, not, not even necessarily that effective. I mean, remember the prophet Elijah and, and remember, they, they had these false prophets of Baal. And so they had this, per, this prayer duel at the Mount of Carmel. Who could call down fire? And so the prophets were praying to Baal, and they prayed from dusk till dawn, and like nothing happened. Elijah comes on the scene. It's only, it's only two verses. In these two verses, he like calls down fire. And listen, it's not the length of your prayers as much as whom you're praying to and the way in which you're praying. There's a difference when Simon Peter was sinking on the Sea of Galilee and he simply prayed, Lord, save me. It was an effective prayer. In verse 7 in Matthew, or verse Matthew 6, 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And he's talking to a group of Pharisees who had these long religious prayers, but they did not connect it to their daily life. They never connected it to their daily life. Second thing is this, is we got to be willing to pray bold prayers. Jesus in this parable begins talking about praying boldly. Verse 5, he says, and he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, leave, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. The most effective prayers just simply brings, begins with a sense of inadequacy. Sometimes, if we're honest, the reason we don't pray is pride. I don't need him. I can do this on my own. I can figure this out. This man, remember, said to his neighbor, I'm desperate. I've, I've got nothing to feed this visitor. And I humbly admit to God that my cupboards are bare. Lord, I need more energy. Lord, I need more patience. Lord, I need more understanding. I need more wisdom. Lord, I need more strength. See, this kind of prayer flies in the face of a prideful person that pretends to be self-sufficient. Prayer is going to God and saying, God, I just simply have a need. And... But this man's neighbor doesn't respond favorably, verse 7, and he will answer him from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed, and I cannot, give, I cannot get up and give you anything to eat. And you know, sometimes prayer can be disappointing. When you don't get the answer you want, when he doesn't answer you immediately, this is what's happening here. I mean, I'm, I'm just like you. I've prayed for things that have never happened. I've prayed for things that God said no. I've prayed for things that God has said wait. I've prayed for things that has taken God years to answer. When you look at this text, it's hilarious. Basically, this text is helping us understand that, that basically there's four ways that God answers a prayer. No, <laughs> yes, wait, and you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you're asking, you've got to be kidding me. You're asking for what? This is a you've got to be kidding me prayer. 
Okay, right? His neighbor's like, you got to be kidding me. It's midnight. Kids are in bed. You're going to wake up the whole house. Have you lost your mind? We know this isn't an emergency. We know it can wait until in the morning. And this man is saying, this is a you got to be kidding me prayer. Verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, that's important. That means bold because he was bold, because he was persistent, because he didn't quit. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. It was, it was bold of this man to keep knocking. It was bold of this man when he says, you gotta, you got to be kidding me. He just continued on. The kids are in bed. I cannot get up. Wait till in the morning. Listen, the point of this teaching is, is God wants us to be persistently bold in our prayers. Don't give up. Keep knocking. Keep praying. Keep after it. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, if, if your neighbor, right, if your neighbor answers an unreasonable request, this was an unreasonable request, how much more will a, father, a loving father respond to a sincere request? Ephesians 3.20, now to him is able to do far more abundantly than all that we may ask or think according, the power that at, it, according to the power at work within us. Listen, God is able to do much more than you can think or that you can even imagine. I don't know about you. I want to be guilty of you got to be kidding me prayers. I want to be asking for more. I want to be the one that continually knocks, that continually says to where God's like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, verse 2 in James, it says this, chapter 4, verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. This is important. Watch this. These two are connected. Same paragraph. You do not have because you do not ask. You know what he's talking? You do not have because you do not ask. He's talking about prayer. He's connecting that to quarrel and fighting. Could it be that an indication of a a prayerless life is one life that is like an attribute of one fight after another and one quarrel after another, one disagreement after another, to there's really not peace, to there's really not joy, to there's, there's really not calm, to there's really not this understanding that God is with you and he's present. I mean, you could take that person that seems like they're always looking for a fight. They're always in a quarrel. They're always in a fight. Have they taken their prayer life and connected it to their actions? And so many people will tell you, and this is what Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees, that, hey, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I just don't know that I'm supposed to live like Jesus. Love my neighbor as myself. Look at other people's interests over my own. Love my enemies. Pray for them. Bless them. I just don't know if that's me. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I just want to be guilty. Of way too many, you've got to be kidding me prayers. The third and the last thing is we've got to pray expectantly. Verse 9, it says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you, and seek, and, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you, and everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, when you pray, you pray in a spirit of anticipation. You pray in a spirit of expecting God to take care of that. And that there, that there will be a positive response and no request will be ignored. No search will come up empty. No knock will be unanswered. Fact is, in the Greek, just real quickly, this is an aorist tense, which simply means this. It was continual action, present and future tense. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep asking, 
and praying for that. I mean, don't come to God in, only in midnight experiences, but keep in constant communication with Him. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done with, for you. When I, when, when I abide in Him, I remember that I am connected to him and it changes how I handle situations. I remember when I abide in him to love my enemies, to pray for them and to try to bless them. Where I walk in peace and comfort. I remember that he's in control. So you know what? I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to try to control. And this doesn't mean that God's going to answer every prayer request exact, exactly the way we won't watch this. Verse 11. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then who are evil, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus was reasoning here from the lesser to the greater. If an earthly father who is perfect and has perfect love, gives good gifts, good gifts to his children. Or if an earthly father, I'm sorry, is imperfect, and has imperfect love, loves to give good gifts to his children, surely your father in heaven who is perfect will do much more for you. This is his point, but the key word is good. What if a child asks for something harmful, right? What if a four-year-old asks for a boa constrictor? Are you going to give that kid a boa, boa constrictor? Absolutely not. You might give him a goldfish, but he may never have ended up with a goldfish unless he asked for a boa constrictor. And we watch that sometimes happen with kids, right? We've watched it happen with grandkids. They've asked for a pet, and it's like you, it's, that's a you-got-to-be-kidding-me request. But they started negotiating for a different kind of pet that they could have. They may have never ended up with that pet unless they asked for the other. What Jesus is trying to say is this. We can trust him and we can pray expectantly because whatever he gives us, it's going to be for our best. It's going to be good. And we don't have to be afraid of the answer. Prayer. Prayer is simply bringing Jesus into the center of our problem. The important lesson here is that we learn to ask in faith. James 1, 6 and 7 says, but let him, let him ask in faith, no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. I just want to close with just a quick story and then we're, we're going to pray together. The best illustration of this that I have is from our church of God taking a group of prayers and not giving them exactly what they asked for, but gave them something that was actually better. It comes from a story from Pastor Beth and Karen. And Pastor Beth, a couple of years back, attended a conference. And so they're at this conference, and at one of the breaks or whatever, there is an advertisement for a ministry called God Behind Bars. And they worked with the state prison system to where that once a year around Christmas, you would buy Christmas gifts for, for children of the inmates. So the inmates' children would have Christmas gifts. And so it touched Karen's heart. It touched Pastor Beth's heart. They talked. Karen says, you know what? I, I will lead that ministry. I am into that. I will lead that ministry. 
They came back to Pueblo, and I think both of them went online, got behind bars on their website, filled out the form, and says, we're into this. We're in Colorado. We will do this. We will staff this. No answer. And how do you get rejected from something like that? And it actually confused them, right? I mean, it actually was very confusing to them. So they started sending emails to God behind bars. They, they tried to make phone calls, and, and it, was like, it was like no answer. It was like no answer. Then in the middle of that process, they says, well, you know what? If God's laid this on our heart, maybe it's not for prisons. Maybe it's for our county jail. And so they met with the command staff, and the command staff says, well, you know what? We would let you come in weekly and do a worship service for the inmates. And we would let you bring prayer partners in and pray for them. God is able to do much more than you can imagine than you could ever ask. What Jesus is trying to say, when you pray, you can trust him. That he's a good father. And he's going to give you what is best. Maybe you have a story or some testimonies about that. Maybe it's an answer to prayer in your life, whether it's a spouse or a, a job. Or taking care of a situation, a friend, something with your children. Where you say, you know what? That's happened in my life too. There was a time I was praying for this. And God is a good father. And I realized now if he had answered that prayer the way I wanted him to answer, it would have been for my harm. But here's how he answered it. Prayer. It's when we just connect with him. And we understand that we connect to him and to our life and he is with us. When we abide in the Father, that's where life begins and we handle life differently. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you, what is God saying to your result of this message? More importantly, more importantly, how does he want you to respond? What is your next step? Whether you're watching whether you're watching online, live, if you're watching live, you can actually click the live prayer button right now and someone will join you in a virtual room and they will pray for you. If you're watching this on demand, you can fill out the connect card and, and, and request prayer and we have pastors that will call you and contact you. You can email us at fellowshiptherockies.org, however you need to connect with us. We are people of prayer and we want to pray for you. And maybe you just need to make a commitment and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to learn this issue of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the, that we can communicate directly to you. And so, Father, we ask right now that we would fill your presence and people would respond to you, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. If we can do anything for you, please connect with us. Email us at fellowshiptherockies.org. God bless you.